As we look to the scriptures, would you join me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. John 1, 35 through 51. Our children can join us on page 1,141 in their Follow Jesus Bible. This is a beautiful text. Uh, it's the last of the three sections in the first chapter, a very long chapter, and we're taking large sections to try and make sure we communicate or we understand the author's message in each one of these sections. And so this is a beautiful section. It has two of the invitations to come and see Jesus, to investigate him. It's also a passage where uh, two men go and, and they start following Jesus, but they first go and find others that they want to meet Jesus. And so it's a great text about inviting people uh, into a relationship with Jesus Christ and to investigate who he is. But that is not John's primary purpose in writing uh, this section. The primary purpose is found in the question that Jesus asks his disciples. What do you seek? Uh, these men are following him, two men are following him, and Jesus asks them, what do you seek? And this is John's use of the narrative to get his readers to come and see, but before they do, to investigate what they're seeking. And so that's a good question to open up with. What are you looking for in Jesus? Uh, are you looking for a moral teacher, rabbi? Are you looking for a good example to follow? Uh, what is it that you're looking for Jesus to do? Because what John's going to do is, as an author is he's going to present to you what Jesus came to do and what he wants to do in your life and in the world. And so join me in John chapter 1, verse 35 and following. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. This is John translating Hebrew into Greek for his audience's sake. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now again, what is John's main point? What is the author asking you to do? He's asking you to evaluate what you're looking for. 
What is it that you're seeking? And he's going to present to you who Jesus is. And you're supposed to ask as a reader, huh, is that what I'm seeking? Because this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has come to do. And so I think the lesson for today is come and see the one sent from God to change the world, beginning with you. Now let me get into the text. Okay, The first thing John does is he wants you to discover the one that God sent. Now this has been his primary message so far in the gospel. John wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that you can have eternal life. And so he wants you to discover the person that, that God sent for you. And it's found in the word found. Twice this is mentioned in the text. And these are little clues as to the author's intent. What are you seeking? Look what we've found. And so John wants you to see what has been found, what has been discovered. And what has been discovered is the one that God sent. And he describes this individual with several titles. If you read through it again, you'll see he's the Lamb of God, he's the Messiah. All of these are presentations of the person of Christ, of Jesus, and what he came to do. And so John wants you to discover the one that God sent. Who is he? Well, he's the Lamb of God. And we've already considered that last week, that this is a reference to the cleansing ministry that Christ provides for sinners. And I love what Tim Keller says, if you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. But that kind of spiritual humility is hard to muster. We come to God saying, look at all I've done, or maybe look at all I've suffered. God, however, wants us to look to him to just wash. This is the cleansing work of Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Secondly, John says he's the Messiah. Now, John doesn't say it. Andrew says it as he goes and gets uh, Peter, Simon. He says, come and see the Messiah. Now, this has a lot of implications in the Old Testament. In fact, each one of these could be a sermon on its own. But the idea of being a Messiah, he translates into the word, the Greek word Christ, or the anointed one. And this is a reference to uh, those who were anointed in the Old Testament, which was kings, prophets, and priests. And so anointing symbolizes something, like baptism symbolized something in the last section. Anointing symbolizes that God has chosen this individual to come and perform a task. Anointing symbolizes choice. Kings, priests, and prophets were chosen by God to lead his people. And this is exactly what Isaiah says in Isaiah 42 and verse 1, when he says, Behold my servant, speaking of the, uh, prophesying of the person who would come, who we know as Jesus, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, or my anointed, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And notice the task that he has been anointed to do, that he has been chosen to do, to bring justice to the nations. John, the author, writes a letter, and in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, he says this is why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is the one that God has chosen to come and vanquish evil in the world, to destroy the works of the devil, to bring justice to not just to God's people, but to the nations. 
And folks, this is, this is who we're finding. This is who you will find in Jesus. You will find one who has conquered sin and has vanquished evil, and now he is uh, destroying his enemies, and he will come and rule and reign uh, in righteousness. And that's the kingdom that he is uh, preparing for us and developing uh, through us is a kingdom of righteousness. And so John wants you to kind of say, what am I seeking? Am I seeking a Messiah? Am I seeking someone who's going to cleanse me, who's going to destroy evil in my life and make me a righteous person? Am I looking for someone who has come to destroy evil in the world and to reconcile the world to God? Because that's who Jesus is. Third, he's a shadow of reality. Now, this is a tricky one, but, um, but the statement in the text is that I have, we have found the one, we have discovered the one that Moses in the law and the prophets uh, foretold, who they talked about. Now, what's interesting about that is Moses and the prophet, prophets are always presenting to us this great figure who would come. This great person who would come and who would, uh, would bring righteousness into the world. All of these Old Testament uh, symbols, uh, uh, actions, ceremonies, all of these are types, or what I have called shadows. And I get that from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Writing about uh, the law, writing about Jewish practice, the author says, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. And then speaking about the sacrificial system, being a shadow, the author says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he gave his life. So these Old Testament uh, sacrifices were a shadow of reality. And I've used this illustration before in the church. On a sunny day, you'll look outside and you'll see a tree and it's casting a shadow. The shadow is a, uh, an image or a representation of the reality. We don't look to the shadow we look for what we can learn from the shadow about the reality. And this is what the whole Old Testament is about. Uh, the people of God were a shadow of a reality. The temple in the Old Testament was a shadow of the reality. The sacrifices, shadows of a reality. The law, shadows of a reality. The kingdom and its righteousness and its obedience to God. Uh, not the people of God, not the nation. The nation's a shadow. Uh, all these ceremonial things are shadows of a reality of the holy people that will someday surround the throne of God. And that's why even in the Old Testament, when they made the tabernacle, when Moses made the tabernacle, or when David made the temple, they were commanded to create it after what they saw in heaven. That was the reality. They were creating shadows. And so Jesus is presented as the reality of all these shadows, of all these calls for holiness, of all these laws of righteousness and justice, Jesus is that reality for his people and for the world. Uh, this is why when Jesus is talking with his disciples after his resurrection, after he's risen from the dead, he's walking on the road to Emmaus and discussing with his disciples, he says this, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Notice, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what John wants you to do is stop and pause. What are you seeking? Are you seeking the fulfillment of all these shadows? Are you seeking the one who was casting the shadow, who has now come to bring what all those shadows represented, to bring a righteous kingdom, to create a righteous people, to bring justice to the earth, law and order to the earth, to bring righteousness in how we interact with each other. This is what Jesus has come to do, folks. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just an example. What we discover in Jesus, what we have found, is the reality, the true the true truth, the true life from God who has come to rescue us, to cleanse us, to bring righteousness to the earth as God's anointed, and to fulfill all these Old Testament shadows or types. Secondly, or I guess fourthly, he is the Son of God. Now we've talked about this one a little bit. Uh, John is insistent that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one's ever seen God, but the uh, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John, again, is affirming that these witnesses, these people that his audience knew, testified to the deity of Jesus Christ. And Jesus demonstrates his deity by saying to Nathaniel, before I saw it, before Philip Uh, uh, came to you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's blown away because he understands that this person uh, is supernatural, that he has abilities beyond normal human abilities. And that he saw him even though, and knew him even though he had never met him before. And so uh, John the author is again affirming the deity of Jesus Christ. But he also says that he's the king of Israel. And this is a fulfillment of an Old Testament promise. You remember the great King David who was anointed by God, chosen by God to rule over God's people and bring righteousness to a kingdom that Saul had not maintained righteousness in. And so David is interacting with God and God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. He tells David about his great descendant who would come, David's great descendant that would build and this is 2 Samuel 7, 13, he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And the point is, John wants you to see that Jesus is God's chosen king over all creation. And so what are you seeking? Are you seeking a king? Are you seeking someone that God has appointed and chosen to come and rule over you and rule over God's creation? Because folks, that's exactly what God has done in Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he sat down at the right hand of the Father and that the Father says to him, you sit here, I'm going to go make all your enemies your footstool. In other words, I'm going to destroy your enemies and humble them and bring them into submission. And when that's done, Jesus inherits the kingdom of God, his enemies being destroyed, death being the final enemy. And then the kingdom is presented to Christ. Christ then takes it and presents it to the Father so that the Father will be all in all. And this is very consistent with what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 2. When he says this, Why did the nations rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his, notice the word, anointed. He who sits in the heavens laughs. laughs. He says, as for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. And then he says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. John is showing you through the testimony of these men that Jesus is the king, that he is not going to be the immediate one to relieve them of Roman rule, but that he has come to rule as God's anointed one and to bring justice to the earth, to bring righteousness to the earth. And that's why John can say, as or John the Baptist, as he begins his ministry, which we talked about last week, what does he say? What's his opening line? What's his sermon? Matthew 3 and verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Finally, what do we discover? We discover that he is the son of man. Now this is another allusion to an Old Testament figure. In Daniel chapter 7, God, Daniel has a vision. The vision is of several kingdoms that are established, one conquering the other. The final kingdom comes from heaven, and it destroys the kingdoms of this earth, and there is a figure, there is a person who arises out of that kingdom. And Daniel says, I saw one like the Son of Man. You can see this in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel's vision of the Son of Man who is given dominion to rule over all God's creation. Now I say God's creation because remember, Israel is a shadow of a reality. Abraham was told he was going to inherit the land. In Romans 4, we learn that that meant everything, all creation. And so the, the shadow is not the final statement. It's just a shadow. The reality is that God has established Christ as the Son of Man, this figure who will come and rule over all of God's creation. And folks, that's who Jesus is. He is God's anointed ruler who is the true, he is the reality in a midst of shadows, and he has come to bring righteousness and justice to the earth. And all of these all of this language, all of these titles of Christ are pointing to his coming and establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that's why John can say in John chapter 5 and verse 27, Jesus speaking of himself, he says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. This Daniel figure, the son of man, this is Jesus's favorite title for himself. He uses it 11 times just in the gospel that we're in. Um, Jesus's favorite title is to say, I am the son of man. And he is equating himself with this Daniel figure who has come to rule over all of God's creation. So John is asking you, what are you seeking? Because this is what God has provided. This is what you're going to find in Jesus. You're going to find someone who has come to cleanse you of your sin. You're going to find someone who has come to bring righteousness into the world as God's anointed servant, to bring truth and light into the world. The darkness cannot withstand it. The darkness fades when the light comes. This is how he opened the gospel. You are going to uh, you are going to receive someone or hear someone who is fulfilling all these Old Testament shadows and types because he is the word of God. And the things that he spoke to us in 
types or in pictures. Uh, we are experiencing now through Jesus as the reality. He's the Son of God. He's the ruler of all God's people of Israel. And he is the Son of Man, this great figure who rules over all of God's creation. But John wants you to discover something else. And it's not directly spoken, it's alluded to. And it's in the change that happens in life. And so John says, come and discover what we found. We have found someone who has the power of God to transform the world. And this is seen first in God, in Jesus changing lives. He says, you are Simon, you are going to be Peter. This is not just a prophecy, but this is Jesus telling Peter, you're going to become an important figure in my kingdom. And uh, this transformation is something that I'm going to do. It's something that I'm going to accomplish. I love what D.A. Carson says in this point. He says he so calls, speaking of Jesus, Jesus so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. And again, Tim Keller says, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. John wants you to see, the author wants you to see, that Jesus has the power to change lives. And he wants to begin that change with you. He wants to begin to take you and make you different, make you a righteous person, make you a child of God, to give you the life that Christ wants to give you. Secondly, it's a change in society. Now this is even more subtle, but this is what's happening in the text. Jesus is talking to this disciple who has come to him, Nathaniel. Nathaniel has said, how do you know me? And he says, I saw you. And Nathaniel makes this great profession of who Jesus is. Jesus says, well, you know, I'm surprised that you believe after such a small thing. Let me tell you, you're going to see even bigger and better things. You are going to see the heavens opened, and you are going to see the angels descending, brother. Now, he's alluding to a story in Genesis chapter 28. But in this story, Jacob, having a vision, having a dream, and he sees a staircase going up into heaven. The heavens are opened. Angels are descending from heaven to the earth. And Jesus is speaking to Nathanael, but then turns to his audience. So he says to Nathanael, you believe? And then he turns to his audience and he says, you, inclusive, plural, you are all going to see this. And what it points to is the transforming work of Christ in the world, in society. It is, it is a comparison between Jesus and Jacob. Jacob re, is renamed Israel, one who sees God. Because in that moment, he gets a glimpse into heaven. Israel means prince with God or one who sees God. And so Jacob becomes Israel. Israel is the founder of the Jewish people. He has the 12 tribes come from his body, and he establishes the nation. What John is doing is, or what Jesus in the text is doing, and John is recording, is he is comparing himself with Jacob as this bridge between heaven and earth. And what, what John is saying is, hey, this is going to change life forever. It's not just for Nathaniel. This is for everybody who comes to the Father through Jesus. And it's not even 
just for them. It's for everybody. Because heaven and earth are being reconciled through Jesus. Jesus is presenting himself as that staircase, as that ladder that connects heaven and earth. And so society is going to change. Life is going to change in this world, or should change, because of the Christian church, because of the people who have come into contact with Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Jesus is changing the world. And again, this is, this is what happens when heaven and earth uh, are, are, are joined. Uh, and you remember when Jesus was crucified, what the earthquake that happened, and then the veil that's in the temple, this very thick, uh, heavy carpet, if you will, or curtain, is torn in half, and suddenly the presence of God is open to everyone's view. And this is very much in keeping with the opening of John's uh, book here, of this gospel, when he talks about how the light has come, and the light has dispelled the darkness. Well, um, Jesus is, is kind of telling them, hey, uh, heaven and earth are going to be one now. Because that's what, that's what it is. It's the kingdom of heaven on earth. Uh, that's why John the Baptist is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven has come down in the person of Christ, and life on earth will never be the same. It will march toward this kingdom fulfillment that Jesus is bringing about through his life and ministry. And through the ministry, the continued ministry, of the Holy Spirit in the world. Jesus says that through Jacob, all the earth will be blessed. Jesus says, I'm the new Jacob. I'm the, I'm the new founder of the new covenant with God, uh, of the people of God, which is multi-ethnic. It's not just the Jewish people. And then he says, and, and the world is going to change because my kingdom is come. Uh, God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus brings the glory of heaven to earth, reconciling us to God, creating a kingdom of righteousness, bringing justice to the earth, and renewing all creation. So John is asking you a very serious question. He's inviting you to come and see Jesus, to come and investigate this great figure that was around in their day, that they knew and that they interacted with. And he is telling his audience, now, after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, he's telling them, he's inviting them, come and see. But before they come, he wants them to ask the question, what are you seeking? And the answer might not be what you're getting, but he wants you to see what God has provided. He's provided this individual who has come to rule the nations and to bring about the righteousness of God on earth. And it is a transformational ministry from heaven because Christ has the power to change lives. and He has the power to change culture. So let's look at some applications. The first is to ask the question that the apostle is asking in this gospel. What are you seeking? One author said, without God, life has no purpose. And without purpose, life has no meaning. And without meaning, life has no significance or hope. You know, we're all looking for meaning and purpose in life. What John is doing is presenting Jesus, not only as the author of life, but as the one who brings purpose and meaning. 
especially to his created image bearers, of which you and I are. But we look in all the wrong places. We look in health, we look in wealth, we look in freedom, control. There's all kinds of things that we try and leverage to give our lives meaning, our careers, our children. And John would direct you and say, what are you seeking? What is it that you're after? Look to Jesus. Look to this one that God sent to change life, to change the world. And my next question would be, are you interested in what Jesus can do in your life and in the world? I'm convinced that Jesus Christ can bring healing to our nation, to our community. He can bring healing into your marriage, into your families. I'm convinced that Jesus has reconciled us to God and to each other. I'm convinced that Jesus has the power to break our addictions, to break our narcissism, to make us lovers and servants and givers. Are you interested in what Jesus can do to transform your life and to transform society? What do you see in Jesus? I hope you'll investigate him with me. And I'd love to share some resources with you called Life Issue Books to help you investigate Christ, to help you think about his claims to be the Lord of all, and what that means for you. All you have to do is email me. My email's on the website, and I'd love to Zoom, call, and discuss with you what you're learning as you investigate. And then the challenge is for all of us to follow him, to be like these disciples, to follow Jesus, to remain with him, to learn from him, to abide in him, to look not to ourselves for cleansing, but to look to Jesus, to not try and be the cure, but see the cure in Jesus Christ and experience it through him. So let me encourage you to follow Jesus and to learn from him. Let me pray for us. Father, bless us as we study your word and bring us into a knowledge of Jesus. We're thankful for him and for his power to transform the world. Begin it with us as we learn to follow him in Jesus' name. Amen.